Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to The Place of the Thing here on the Close Reads Podcast Network. I'm David Kern. Now, normally, right now, I would say, and I'm joined by so-and-so or whoever is next to me or whoever I'm talking to on the internet. Alas, it is just I standing here alone in a dark studio because I was not able to participate in this week's conversation. So this week you're getting a conversation between Andrew Kern and Angelina Stanford about act two of Much Ado About Nothing. Now the fact of the matter is probably don't need me anyway, right? So we'll see how it goes. We'll see how much I'm, how much I'm actually necessary, right? Um, but, uh, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. It is as lively and as, uh, insightful as you would expect. And I think it will continue to open up, um, this great comedy to you bit by bit. Before I get you over to that conversation though, I need to tell you that you need to check out St. John's College if you love Shakespeare. St. John's is a leader in classical education. They were founded in 1696. That's I read that correctly. That's 1696, 1696, with campuses in Annapolis, Maryland, and Santa Fe, New Mexico. And they have an iconic great books program that covers philosophy, science, math, music, Shakespeare, and more. Spend four years exploring three millennia of the greatest thinkers, or do it in two at their graduate institute. With generous financial aid available, St. John's is among the most affordable colleges for true seekers. Now, if you want to learn more about any of the programs they have at, S- at uh, St. John's, head over to sjc.edu. Again, that is sjc.edu. Thanks to St. John's for sponsoring. They really are um, a gold standard in the uh, world of liberal arts colleges. And uh, if you have a student who is in that age range looking, for, looking at colleges, hope you will uh, check out uh, St. John's College at sjc.edu. Maybe take a visit. Uh, and definitely check out some of their programs. Okay, moment of truth, I suppose, at least for me and my future on this show, right? I guess we find out if I matter at all. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it is time to pass the uh, baton of this show over to Andrew and Angelina. Hope you enjoyed this conversation, and we will be back uh, next week with another episode. Enjoy. 
Okay, I'm going to propose something to you that in in this play, I suggested last time we were talking that I guess to put it simply, rhetoric's a big deal in this play. Everybody's trying to win other people to win their hearts, and they can either do it, you know, through war or through words or through other means. So in in any encounter, you're going to have a person persuading a person listening to the persuader and a message in a medium and in a context and so on. But those three things are maybe four things if you want to count context. Those four things are always there. So what I'm going to propose to you is that we could talk about this at least to start with, because I'm really not worried about us running out of things to say. Um, But we could start our conversation by talking about what makes a person persuadable. Okay. In, in, in this in this scene, I mean, because because what we've got, what we've got in Act Two is types, right? Many little mini types of people in the mask ball, many types of people trying to persuade each other. So you've got you've got Antonio. Where did it go? Act Two. There. Once the dance starts, okay. I'm on page twenty. Pedro oh, no. says, "Lady, I don't have the same Sorry? pages as you." <laughs> Oh, okay. So I'm I'm at line eighty. If we have the same lines, and I don't think we have the same lines it, either. But I can I can right, find it, it roughly. It's right right where the dance begins, and 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 Pedro says, "Okay, lady, will you walk about with your okay, that's, with your that's friend?" That's like eighty-seven for me. Your book doesn't know how to count, but you see where it says, "Lady, will you walk yes. about with your friend?" Which is interesting. <laughs> about is two words there in my text. Okay, so that's Pedro persuading hero. Then then at at down 10 lines or so balthazar says i would you did like me he says that to margaret and then you go down about 10 lines or so ursula says i know you well enough mm-hmm. and so that's three types of males trying to persuade females about something right it, it a different thing each time apparently but like one, Barth, Balthazar just said, I want you to like me. Um, Pedro just wants her to walk with him. And Ursula is more rational. It's about, I know who you are. Then, All right, then so Beatrice my book does not say that that's Balthazar. My book has that as Baraccio. No kidding. Then I'm going to go get a different version. And I'm going to see if I can match up with you. Hang because on a second. That really changes it. Yeah, go ahead. What did you say? I well, was walking away. Well, that changes how you read the scene because Baraccio is the one who has the relationship with Margaret. Right. And so I. Right. That's how I read their little exchanges that they already are involved. Hmm. Hmm. Well, hold on. I'll be right back. All right. Okay, I'm back. Which one did you get? Because I'm using uh, the Riverside Shakespeare, and I know I've seen that at your office the before. The big fat one? I can yeah. pull that out. I brought it over. I, right, I was looking in the Dover Thrift Edition. I mean, sorry, I was in the Penguin that was different, and then the Dover Thrift Edition had the same as you, so the, obviously you're using a cheap version. And now I'm going <laughs> to... So the Riverside has Riverside. it in brackets, which I presume means that we don't actually know who the speaker is, so they're... Yeah, yeah, who knows? Thou wilt be a lover presently. All right, so so we're at act three, scene... No, act, act two, two rather. Act two. Scene, scene one, where Leonardo Should we start some kind of room. introduction? Should we... David's going to do that. Okay. He said we could just... Um, really, I think everything we've been talking about should just be postmodernly included. Remove the 
remove the ceiling, right? So they can see the vents and, and the and the back working of the what are that called? The the the, the, the scaffolding. Pipes. Yeah, scaffolding, but inside a restaurant, you know, about 10, 15 oh, years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's the that's the trend now. Isn't that so fascinating? Yeah, you don't want to hide anything, right? It's all Don John. Everybody wants to be John John. I must be what I am. But I, yeah, that, that whole architectural movement is just absolutely fascinating to me. This this industrial, I want to see the duck work, uh, you know, every, every, yeah. Yeah, like you said, everything exposed. I don't like that. That's I probably mean, because you prefer the masked ball. Well, I like a good, I got a good, good architectural facade, though. I do. Yeah, well, I'm just kidding. I agree with you. I was I was reading an article by John, Roger Scruton about Arabic architecture and how the city of Aleppo is 5,000 years old. It has never in those 5,000 years been conquered until, until the last 10 years. Oh, wow. And one of the points he makes about, about Aleppo and about these cities in Syria is that in the last 100 years, architecturally, they've been transformed into violent cities he doesn't say buy this buildings, but he he definitely says that the architecture has had an effect. And what it is, is it's this abstract Western architecture separated from a sense of place, no context, just dropped on the people. And it fits. It fits what we're talking about in, in Much Do About Nothing because, because again, I, I look at Don John and John Don John says, I just have to be what I am. I'm a, I'm a plain dealing villain, right? <laughs> That's such yes. a funny, but I'm going to, I'm going to laugh when I feel like laughing because that's authentic. Mm -hmm. I was just reading, you know, my team's in the playoffs in baseball first time in a long time. And I was reading an article about one of the pitchers who's become very emotional on the pitcher's mound, which I don't have a problem with that myself, but I was very intrigued by his explanation. He said that previously he would, he would have to, um, pretend he was somebody else, right? And control his emotions. That, that to me is, is kind of, I, and I'm oversimplifying, but that to me is an amazing concept that to be an authentic self, whatever you feel, you have to show it. It's, it's back again, back in our last conversation, we talked about the levels of a person and it's like, that's all we are is the, is the emotions that we have. The height of who we are is our emotions, which come and go like the wind. Yes. So we ask ourselves, what do we feel? Not, is this feeling the last say in the matter? It's self-evidently true if we feel it, right? Right. And, and we are now in the book, you know, because Claudio at one point, and this is back in act one. Um, okay. Claudio, what he's revealing is love to Benedict. Benedict says like the old tale, my Lord, it is not so, nor twas not so, but indeed God forbid it should be so, which is weird. Um, and Claudio responds, he's just said, I'm in love, right? And, and Benedict is saying, you should say so. And Claudio says, if my passion change not shortly, God forbid it should be otherwise. In other words, my passion is really strong right now. And if it doesn't change, then that would be terrible if it changed. Well, that actually brings up one of the things I was hoping we would talk about today. So I'll, I'll hint at it now and we can go we can, for it. We go can for come it. back around to it. But that, the one that, that's an extremely popular idea with Shakespeare and all of Renaissance um, literature is this theme of inconstancy. 
and mm-hmm. mutability uh, as mm-hmm. opposed to stability, right? So God is immutable. He's stable. Um, immutability is the ideal. And the things that are inconstant are um, threats, right? So mm-hmm. um, in a lot of Renaissance poetry, Shakespeare's as well, his love sonnets, there's the theme of the inconstancy of a woman and being uh, it's, it's it's such an interesting reversal because nowadays we think of women as being the ones who are constant in love and affection and men are the players, right? Men are the ones who are out there and can't be trusted in their affections. Maybe that's because Benedict has become the model man. Well, I've been thinking about that as, I, as I've read it because Shakespeare's playing with that. So because there's the theme of inconstancy, that not just the theme, but a genuine fear, right? If I give my heart to a woman she's going to break my heart. She's going to be inconstant. Mm-hmm. This is behind all of Benedict's railing when he talks about wearing the horns because that's the symbol for being a cuckold. And it mm-hmm. was commonly assumed in the Renaissance if a man got married that he would be cuckolded. His wife would absolutely cheat on him because women are inconstant. So, commonly assumed in the Renaissance in the sense of in Renaissance literature? Yes, or in, yes, in a, Renaissance a, literature, um, which may or may not be culturally true or not, but this is definitely how it's presented in the literature. Um, And so because this is always the the under the surface theme, this is why it's going to be so easy for Claudio to be tricked because this Mm -hmm. is the fear running through every man. And so when, when he's tricked, it's more like, you know, the self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, we all knew this. We all knew this is what women are. They lie to us. They us. They're in constant. Um, Don't don't you think that Angelina, that in a way much ado about nothing is taking two groups of people, male and female who are both afraid of being betrayed by the other. I mean, the, the song. Yes. Yes. I was, I was just about to bring that up that in this play, I'm noticing that Shakespeare's playing with that because so the typical, the typical expectation is that woman will be portrayed as inconstant. And so we see that fear in the men, but then the, the song, yes, you're right. The song is about a man being inconstant and that women should know better than to trust a man. And, but, and that, but, but that's also what Beatrice has been saying about Benedict. You change with the fashions, you, you know, you, you're a right. horse that can't finish the race. These are, these are all images of inconstancy. So, um, I'm drawing a blank here, but this is not the first Shakespeare play I've run into that where he's raised the question of maybe it's men who are inconstant. Angelina. Yes. What is Benedict's, spoiler, what's Benedict's conclusion when he says, this is my conclusion at the end of the play? Oh, wait. I got to look it up because I read that last week. He kisses, what's her name? What's that girl's name he likes again? Beatrice. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Whoa, when he says, this is my conclusion. Mm-hmm. I would not deny you, but by this good day, I yield upon great persuasion and partly to save your life, for I told you we're in a consumption. That is, is that? No, oh, I wonder in brief. if you... Is that what you mean? Is that the conclusion? In brief, since I do purpose to marry that. I'm not Read sure what it. you're what calling is... the conclusion. Is it that? I th- I thought he says, this is my conclusion. I thought he uses that very phrase. Well, that's where he says for man is a giddy thing. Yeah, exactly. Yes. yes. And this is my conclusion. Yes. Yes. Right. Man so is, is Shakespeare saying mankind is mankind right. is inconstant, right? It's not gender. 
And now yeah. I'm going to, after this episode, have to go figure out where which Shakespeare plays I've run into this before, because I know this has come up before where I found myself saying he's playing on that idea and suggesting it's not just women who are inconstant. In, in, um, I'm, I'm reading a novel. I've been off and on for 15 years, 15 years now <laughs> called The Name of the Rose. Have you heard of that by Umberto Eco? Yes, I've, I've finished it. So I feel like that's something, but you may actually well understand done. more out of it than yeah. I do. Do you remember or do you remember the stuff the the discussion between um William of Baskerville the the main detective in the story and then um Adzo the young kid after he commits his terrible sin right about halfway through the book No I do well, not remember that sin. Well he, what he does is he he commits fornication with basically with the prostitute from the town doesn't know it falls in love you know the whole thing it's very complicated but in if th there's this whole discussion between the two of them about how the female nature is an evil thing and adzo the kid he 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 realizes through committing this sin he realizes that females aren't only evil and it's so interesting so weird because a it's not current b i'm not convinced it was really like that in the middle ages but c they're monks and they're not supposed to have interaction <laughs> i nearly said intercourse with with uh, <laughs> with the local community you know and but but what i'm saying is is in this book at least the way echo presents it you're right that there's this there's this I can see where the where the complaints about the patriarch are coming from on this point that 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 there was this absurd notion that femininity itself was somehow an evil thing, right? That because Eve ate the fruit first, femininity, the womb, and so on are are all evil, and yet the world must be peopled, right? It's very interesting to to read much ado about nothing against that novel, which. I'm not going to necessarily say everybody should go out and read it, but it's, but it is a fascinating, slow read. <laughs> but yeah, the whole notion of, of who, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, maybe what, maybe what Benedict is getting at at the end in his constant double, double meanings is, yeah, man is giddy, but we're all giddy. Giddy, and of I, course. Yes. Constant. Okay. So, all right. And, and I also noticed too. So, um, Claudio is quick to think everyone is inconstant. So he he also is quick to think that Don Pedro has stabbed him in the back. Um, right. And so his line there, um, so scene one, it's in my book, 174, the prince woos for himself. Friendship is constant in all other things, save in the office and affairs of love. So that's mm -hmm. that's an accusation that men are in men can't be trusted when it comes to women. They will also be inconstant. They will they will they will not be true to their friendship and, and bonds. And and uh, of course that theme of who are you bound to and the way that that shifts when a woman comes into play runs through the whole play. And this would be an example of um the a bad form of loyalty, right? You you were disloyal to me because you want this woman and you've stolen her from me. Um, but then right. later in the conversation with Benedict and Beatrice later in, in act three, or is it act four? Um, she's going to say, essentially, if you love me now, your loyalty is to me first and not to right. your friends. 
right? That's why I think kill Claudio is an analogical statement that anybody who's getting any male who's getting married has to kill Claudio anal analogically. You have to say, yes, you have to say to all your friends, you're dead to me now compared to, you know, relative to be relatively speaking. Well, it's the same idea of you have to leave your mother and father and cleave to your wife, exactly. right? It's, it's the same exactly. idea. You have a new first loyalty. And 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 I think what I'm what I'm hearing right here is two two think two two characters reading other characters well. Beatrice reads Benedict well when she says kill Claudio because she knows she, he 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 needs to demonstrate total commitment. And Don John reads Claudio well when he addresses him as Benedict and then Benedict and then tricks him mm -hmm. into. Where, where, look at what he says. Claudia says at that line, "Tis certain so the prince woos for himself. Tis certain." Well, he's wrong, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so, so in both cases, a heart is being won. Be, somebody's being persuaded, deeply, deeply persuaded that something is the case, and that's why. That's why I talked about. That's I think this ties together. Your your theme and, and my inquiry are tied together in this whole idea of in this inconstant realm that is frankly eternally the male female relationship. In this inconstant realm, how do you go about knowing who to believe? And in a world of masks, yes, how, yes. how do you know? Yes, Don and that Johnson. is why it's significant that this is at the masked ball, because of course, right. anytime Shakespeare is having somebody literally in a change of, so I tell, I've been, I've been working with my middle school students about how do you read? How do you recognize the signs when the author is saying, uh, pay attention? And I said, one of it is if, if, he, if someone changes clothes, <laughs> if the author makes <laughs> a point to tell you someone's changed clothes, that's a big deal always. And so there's always yeah. changing clothes and putting on masks and disguises. Um, and especially in this play, which is so much about you know, who are these people? And one of the, th so, so the Claudio, you know, he's, and it's ironic, right? It's certain the prince woos for himself. Of course, he's not right. certain. He's wrong. And this is a, this is the smaller foreshadowing of the second time he's going to be wrong. He's going to be so sure about something and he's going to be wrong to disastrous consequences. But both times it's Benedict who says, think, man, <laughs> like, does this really add up? Slow down. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Both yeah. times it's Benedict. I love, I love, but did you think the prince would have served you thus? He's saying, you know, think. But Claudio uh -huh. doesn't think. So uh -huh. Claudio's being ruled by the passion in his judgments, right? He's, he's quick yep. to just feel that sting and then it's certain so. And Benedict is the one. That's why it's so interesting to see Claudio and Benedict presented as foils to one another. Um, mm -hmm. Because... <laughs> Uh, it's, it's Benedict for all his talk about, I won't be tricked by a woman, right. Is the one who keeps telling Claudio, you know, keep your wits about you, man. You're, you're drawing the wrong conclusion. No one's trying to steal your girl. Your girl mm -hmm. probably has not been untrue to you. Mm -hmm. Um, so he ends up being the voice for believing the best about women, believing the best about your friends. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is How ironic. ironic. Right? Because he's the one railing against love. Uh, what I also loved about... The, Hold on a second, because I just yeah, sure. knocked out my um, earphones and can't hear you. <laughs> and I don't know where it goes. <laughs> Always unscripted close reads. Oh, no, we're not on close reads. The play's the thing. 
Okay, I'm back. Sorry. All right. Good. No, no, that's did, why. That's why. Did you have a solilo? A, a, what do you call it? a soliloquy while I was I away? I should have had a soliloquy, and our and our so our listeners need to know that asides and soliloquies are always characters telling the truth. Well, that's interesting. I was thinking, how do you know when when Shakespeare's trying to get you to pay attention? And one of the clues to me is he puts the name of a speaker just before that person speaks. Yes, he also does that where he will have a character describe a certain thing. So I don't know, like, I'm really afraid evil's upon the land and then enter Macbeth. He does that that right, little right. number a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he does that, doesn't he? I was noticing something, too, from what you read before. He says, um, um, John, sorry, Claudio, what to, notice what Claudio's response is to Don John when Don John says, are not you Senior Benedict? What does mm -hmm. Claudio say? What, you what does know he say? Me well. Okay, now I am look at what, exactly, you know me well. Now look at Benedict when he's, when when Claudio goes walking away from him, at, at you know at, at in my book 192 so maybe 200 or 210 in okay. yours and benedict says alas poor hurt foul now will he creep into sedges and then what now he turns his attention to beatrice mm -hmm. again yes and what does he say ah uh, that she should know me and not know me yeah he's wounded right. by that and and the whole the whole masked ball scene is fantastic because everyone's wearing disguises which always always indicates a question of identity which of course is thematically happening in here who 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 is beatrice who is benedict do they even know their own hearts um all, all that kind of stuff um but each of the little individual conversations are about trying to perceive past the mask both literally of you know who am i talking to and but then also symbolically and metaphorically. And I think that small exchange between Ursula and Antonio is so interesting because she does know who he is. And he tries mm -hmm. to say, no, 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 I'm not. And her answer, answer was, can virtue hide itself? Mm -hmm. Which I think is so great. Like, so whatever levels of deception are going on, can, can virtue be deceived? So we can deceive people into thinking there's vice, but can you really, can you hide virtue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, she's flattering him. Sure. Grace, graces will appear and there is an end. That that idea of graces becomes a big deal, too. I just want to throw that out. But yeah, this whole question of how do you know somebody? Let's let's take a look at those three set pieces where there's mm -hmm. there's the Pedro and Hero. OK, uh, in each case, it's a male and a female. So let's use Unless you want to say something about the preface to all that, where Leonardo and Beatrice and, and Antonio are talking about their plan, um, the first 80 lines or so. Did you want to just draw people's attention to that before we? Well, same kind of thing. Beatrice can't stop talking about Benedict, right? I mean, <laughs> they're talking about Don John. And she's like, oh, if only he was somewhere in <laughs> the perfect man would be somewhere in between Don John and Benedict. Like She just can't yep. stop talking about him and then she goes on to say of course uh her version of benedict's earlier speech of i'll never marry i'm gonna die a bachelor which it was for mm -hmm. men and women that was the same term um thou wilt never get thee a husband if thou be so shrewd of thy tongue yeah the play the word play of course is fantastically fun to listen to nonetheless oh, you're right oh. Be beatrice or well, nonetheless um 
what what's coming out in that scene to me most of all is 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 how each person okay let me put it this way beatrice is expressing what she thinks are her own values right she says um you're too cursed god will send you no horns and she says just if you send me no husband for the witch blessing i am at him upon my knees every morning and evening and then she talks about the beard and what am I going to do with the, somebody who has a beard? What am I going to do with somebody who doesn't? I'm going to lead the apes down into hell, and 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 then um, and then when it comes to hero, I trust you will be ruled by your father. Beatrice says, "Yeah, yeah, do what your father says, unless the man's not handsome, right? That's her her value, right? She's looking for a handsome man, at least she says so or thinks she is, and then she talks about." wanting a man better than earth would it not grieve a woman to be overmastered with a piece of valiant dust what a great line yeah so that is a fantastic it, line and then the music right the fault will be in the music he says she says if you if you aren't would so she's anticipating the prince to woo and if it doesn't work out it's because of the music so she's She's at the at one and the same time. She's shrewd and she's deep and she's insightful and she's incredibly naive and superficial. But that's also an echo of Benedict's speech where he lists all the things he wants in a woman. And then he says, well, God can choose her hair color. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So hilarious. But I also can't. So maybe I just maybe I read myself into Beatrice too much here. But when 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 she's protesting um, to Leonardo in this in the, the beginning of scene one, um, you know, I couldn't endure a husband with a beard on his face, but neither neither would I want a man who didn't have a beard on his face. Right. She says he that is more than a youth is not for me and he that is less than a man. I am not for him. Um, I can't help but read into this her feeling of. I haven't met the man for me. You know, yeah. where, where is the man who's enough for me and who I am enough for and um, who, who we can handle each other. And, and yeah. of course, everyone else thinks the answer to that is obviously you and Benedict are made for each other. Um, so with Beatrice, I can't, especially because she seems to be hurt by Benedict. Um, I can't help but read into this. This is a lot of the lady protests too much about how much she doesn't want to be married. Pro probably. Probably. But she's see, that's the thing from what you were saying before is I think everybody in this play is scared that mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. driving everything is just fear of betrayal, fear of shame, even to some extent fear of death. But basically, it's the fear of shame. I mean, who wants to who wants to marry a person that's going to cuckold them? Right. Yes. Everybody. Yes. Everybody fears that, especially growing up. And I was reading an, an essay that was talking about that exact thing and about how words then become the defensive maneuver mm. to keep from getting mm -hmm. hurt. And so everyone's going on the attack with words to keep from getting hurt. And that and so then Dogberry becomes a parody of that. And that's why uh -huh. he's using all these words that he doesn't really know how to use because he wants to be thought well of. He doesn't want people to despise him. And so he's also using words to, to try to keep that from happening malapropically but yeah yes. using words yes. so he's the he's the comic parody of that he's the he's the the comic parody of benedict and beatrice they are sparring with words to protect themselves he's comically making an idiot out of himself with words but it's the same impulse to try to 
protect himself, to seem other than he is with words in a self-defensive way. Absolutely. And I love the way you brought up the idea of how that's what the masks are for. And so, and also you said the word attack, they attack with words when Pedro, and we're about to get to this soon, I think, although Beatrice's line, I have a good eye uncle. I can see a church by daylight. That's a fabulous line, but But Pedro says, lady, will you walk about with your friend? And in my, my penguin book about is two different words Uh, about, right. And in the other one, it's the same word, but if it's about that's a that's a, a battle term, right? It's a, at least a boxing ah. match. It's, it's a it's a conflict term. When she says, when later on Beatrice says of Bendik, I wish he had boarded me, you know, mm-hmm. maybe making some kind of sly sexual reference, but it, probably. But there's also a military thing going on there. Yep. I am sure yep. he is in the fleet. I would he had boarded me, right? It's a, it's a, I wish I wish he had attacked me with his ship you know, had, had boarded my ship so we could fight. Right. I wish we could fight together because I want to beat him again. So then in both of these instances, military terms are being used to describe the pursuit of the opposite sex. And then you flip over Mm -hmm. to the next scene where Benedict says about Claudio, he used to love martial things, right? He used to love the sound of the battle, but now he's in love. And so it's just love poetry and other things. Um, Beautiful. So it's, it's the flip, right? If it's a flip, yeah. I mean, how, to what extent is is um, what extent is according to Herodotus and maybe Homer, the reason men fight wars is for women. So maybe maybe it's maybe it's the same thing. <laughs> maybe maybe military conflict is is just an extension of sexual conflict. Well, it is interesting that the whole setup for the play is we have been victors in war, <laughs> therefore it's right. time to be victors in love. That that seems to flow out of it, doesn't it? And so then the question becomes, how do you win at love? Do you, do you win by boarding from the fleet or do you win by, by gentle words or do you win by wearing a mask or do you by not wearing a mask and revealing your lowest self? You know, how do you, how do you win? How do you, how do you persuade? How do you move the heart of the person you're trying to get to your side? And at the same time that you protect yourself, right? How do you move them without getting hurt? I mean, Claudio, Claudio, this is junior high wooing. He sent his friend to say, do you like my friend? Mm -hmm. That's not an act of bravery. Mm -hmm. And then he still manages to think he got ditched. I developed a theory reading this book and watching the movie back in the 90s. I developed a theory that Shakespeare had been a middle school teacher. (laughs) And you know what's funny about that? It it, it turns out there's evidence he was. Really? <laughs> yeah. You can see, you can, everywhere in Shakespeare, you can see middle schoolers put into adult bodies. I don't know that that's psychologically incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it comes to things like love. I mean, when you're, you know, when you send your friend to nonchalantly find out if the boy over there likes you. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily get easier when you're on a dating app. I mean, how much of a dating app is the same kind of thing, right? A way to see if there's oh, an interest uh, without having to, to be safe. To be safe, yeah. yeah. So relevant. To, I mean, has has the has the sexual relationship, the, or or just let's just say the 
has the relationship between males and females ever been more widely tenuous and and dangerous than it is in our culture right now? I mean, look at look at just the Supreme Court, right? And go back to President Clinton, go back to the Clarence Thomas thing. Everywhere you look, the sexual revolution is playing itself out, and I'm not sure anybody's winning. Well, uh, my my mind is racing right now thinking about even the idea of masks in modern dating. I mean, internet dating is about. I mean, there are you can hire people to write your profile for you, hmm. right? To 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 give the best mask of yourself to someone. Hmm. Um, and then I talk to people who who are involved in internet dating, and and this is this is where it's so interesting to me is that you can't trust a person's photo even. You would think you can trust a photo, but you can't because everyone knows how to take their perfect selfie angle and everyone right. knows that they know how to do that so that the picture is untrustworthy. Everyone assumes right. the picture is untrustworthy. So I don't really know who you are having read your description of yourself, nor do I even know what you look like having seen your picture. So how do you get to know someone? Which right. is the that's, same question Shakespeare is asking. That's just exactly. so fascinating to me. Because because in our world, we make much ado about noting. And what we need to do is figure out what is the something that should be made much ado about. What yes. is Because noting can include the idea of knowing something, right? You note, hey, note this. By the way, did you notice in scene three that, that, that um, Shakespeare gets kind of explicit about the, the use of the word nothing is noting? Oh, it's, about it's the notes, a, the music. Yes, yes. Yeah. It sounds like just a stupid conversation that Balthazar won't let go of, but Shakespeare uses it to make a really important point or to draw something out. Yes, yes. Well, and then, of course, I mean, Beatrice talks about love as a dance. It's right. different types of dancing and with different kinds of music. And so, you know, oh gosh, they bring up one of the things I like to tell my students. I say this a lot when we read Chaucer, but the same is true about Shakespeare with Chaucer. I say, you know, they're asking who's the boss in marriage, man or woman. And in Shakespeare, they're asking, you know, who, how do you how do you how do you how do you fall in love with someone without getting hurt in the process? How do you really know who someone is? How do you not be deceived? You know, and so I always say here we are 400 years later and we still do not have the answer to any of these questions. Or, or maybe the answer is virtue. Well, and can virtue hide itself? But then, right? but then the question becomes: How do you know if someone's virtuous? Exactly, exactly. That to me is the driving question of this play: Is how do you? Ur Ursula's phrase is so interesting. It's not just "I know you," to Antonio. She says, "I know you well, well enough. enough." That's loaded right there. I know you well enough. Boy, and isn't, isn't that the question, though, that people ask themselves when they're trying to decide if they should get married? Do yeah, I know do this I know. person well enough? Mm. To which wise people often reply, you can never know someone. You will never get to the point where you say, yes, I know this person well enough now. Yeah, that's the horrible thing about life is it isn't safe. No, it's like the whole, you know, when are you ready to have a child? Never. <laughs> right. Yeah, once you have one, you can start becoming ready huh well this got cheerful all of a sudden i want to i want to suggest that we go back to that earlier plan having having it. sort of discussed um although i'll just ah it's hard to hard to ignore these lines by beatrice i want to just mention one more line and then and then let's go to the let's go to the types um 
she's talking about what it would take to be one. And she talks about senior, well, Leonardo talks about Benedict's tongue and John's melancholy. And then Beatrice says, with a good leg and a good foot, uncle, and money enough in his purse, such a man would win any woman in the world if it could get her goodwill. That's what it's about, right? How do you get the goodwill Mm -hmm. of a person? Mm -hmm. And she's saying, nice legs, nice foot, money in the purse, handsome, serious enough. Such a man would win any woman in the world if it could get her goodwill, right? That's By the way, that's another thing Beatrice does a lot is she says something and then pulls it back. She asserts and withdraws a lot of things. Kind of inconstant that way. Well, this is essentially what Claudio did though, right? He sees that she's beautiful Mm -hmm. and she makes sure there's enough money because he talks to the dad, finds out she's the Mm -hmm. heir, and then Mm -hmm. decides to win her goodwill. Mm-hmm. And and so and and because Shakespeare at the beginning of the play is presenting Claudio and Harrow as the ultra romantic couple with Benedict and Beatrice as the ultra anti-romantic. I, I mean, and it's interesting to see where he's going to take them. I think with comments like that, he's definitely calling into question whether or not really Claudio and them are the ultra romantics. Are they? Because yeah, she's think... presenting that as an anti. She's mocking. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And I would propose that what what Shakespeare does is is the same thing. He asserts and withdraws, but he's giving us he's giving us this caricature couple, this, you know, this junior high couple that obviously they're, you know, in love. It's superficial. But then, boom, just like that, Mm -hmm. everything falls apart. So it's a caricature. And and the Benedict and Beatrice, you're never going to be able to say that's a caricature. <laughs> no. There, there, now, there is that caricature element of of brats being at each other, you know, pulling each other's hair and, and then and then being tricked into falling in love, but not in a caricatured way. It, it's quite subtle. And, and it it it's a what do you call it? Met iron sharpening iron in a way you see, you see the sparks and the sparks are revealing. Oh, she uses the phrase sparks in what we read for today. Where was that? Well, I don't remember that. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, it maybe not. Maybe I was reading it somewhere else. But let's go to let's go to those three. All right, let's do it. Because we're never going to get to the gulling scene if we don't. <laughs> move I know, forward. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got it. We ha- and we have to. We have to. You have to sing that song. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> used to be Balthazar. Oh, there it is. He doth indeed show some sparks that are like wit. I love that. Oh yes. <laughs> okay, here we go. I'll be Pedro. You be hero, unless you want to go the other way around. Oh, no, let's play to type. <laughs> <laughs> Lady, will you walk about with your friend? So you walk softly and look sweetly and say nothing. I am yours for the walk, and especially when I walk away. With me in your company? I may say so when I please. And when please you to say so? When I like your favor, for God defend the lute should be like the case. My visor is Philemon's roof within the house's Jove. Why, then your visor should be thatched. Speak low if you speak love. Then they dance aside. So, so maybe, maybe, a, do you have any, you want to draw anything out of that that seems significant to the play? N- nothing more than that they're in disguise and they're dancing. Okay. I like the way, I like the way, um, 
he asks her when please you to say so. In other words, what are you looking for in a man? Right. I'll, you can stay in my company when I walk away. It's like that song from the nineties. If you leave me, can I go with, um, or eighties, but, but she says, I'm going to walk uh, you. We can be together until I walk away. But then he says, can I walk? Can I go with you when you walk away? And she says, I can, when I please. And he says, well, what are you looking for in a man? Right. And, and so then he, she says, I want you to look good. <laughs> My visor is Philemon's roof within the house is Jove. Like his mask mm-hmm. is a thatched roof, right? But, but within, that's Jove inside. And of course, that's what, everybody, that's what everybody wants. If you're wearing a mask, that's what you're hoping is that the person will believe there's something even better inside. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Speak low if you speak love. That's an interesting phrase. All right. Okay. So anything anything else? Otherwise, we can go to the next one. Yeah, we can go to the next one. All right. You want to be Balthazar? Or, I mean, Boraccio or Margaret? I'm going to go for Margaret. I'm just going okay. to keep playing for type here. <laughs> All right. In my book, it's Balthazar, um, but you're right. It makes a difference. I'm just not sure what the difference is. But in any case, here we go. Um, Well, I would you did like me. So would not I for your own sake, for I have many ill qualities. Which is one? I say my prayers aloud. I love you the better. The hearers may cry, Amen. God match me with a good dancer. Amen. And God keep him out of my sight when the dance is done. Answer, clerk. No more words. The clerk has answered. That's kind of cool, too. I say my prayers aloud, and then she says a prayer. God match me with a good dancer, and he agrees. (laughs) (laughs) But then he won't say amen to the second prayer. Oh, well, that's right. God, keep him out of my sight when the dance is done. It's fun watching these girls play with the men. I'm going to disappear from you, says Hero. I'm going to go away, says Margaret. Or well, that's you right. know, God keep him. Or I'll use you for what I want and then I will leave, right? That's mm, what she's saying. Yeah. yeah. What a great concept that my ill qualities are that I say my prayers aloud. <laughs> <laughs> my vice okay next one ursula and antonio okay i know you well enough you are senor antonio senor antonio at a word at a word i am not i know you by the waggling of your head to tell you true i counterfeit him you could never do him so ill well unless you were the very man here's his dry hand up and down you are he you are he at a word i am not Come, come. Do you think I do not know you by your excellent wit? Can virtue hide itself? Go to, mum. You are he. Graces will appear and there's an end. You know, what struck me as we were doing that one is, is she's trying to get, she knows who he is and he's trying to cover for that. But when you're wearing masks, you're, you're always trying to figure out who the other person is or keep yourself in disguise which comes back to your point about staying safe. The mask is to stay safe. And now he's been exposed or at least seen through. So he's trying to remask himself. But this, well, I'll just leave it at that. That's, that's what, that's human life right there. We're always wearing masks. Yes. Maybe we're, maybe, maybe putting on a mask makes us less effective at not at, at analogically masking ourselves. 
Maybe we should all wear masks so it's harder to mask ourselves. Well, I mean, even the the mask of authenticity is still a mask, right? But we don't, Absolutely. We don't realize that. And you know what strikes me is a mask is always a reduction, right? The uh, um, the face of a mask is obviously not as revealing as an actual face. The, thus, in a sense, Pedro's right. My visor is Philemon's roof within the house is Jove. The, the, if you put a mask on your face, especially you think back to the Greek masks of the, you know, or the Roman masks of the, the comic and the tragic actor, and they're just simplistic. Yes, they so show one emotion, right? One face. Yeah. So even the mask of authenticity, that's going to be, maybe it's going to show more than one face, but it's going to be putting on the tragic and putting on the comic, just switching back and forth. It's a false authenticity because we, what, one of the fundamental realities of who we are is that we are extraordinarily complex beings. We are giddy, whether we mean to be or not, we are giddy beings. And, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not hypocritical of me to not stand up at a conference and reveal to everybody there all my sins. It wouldn't be fitting, right? And, and that's not a mask. Well, maybe it is a mask, but it's, I'm not going to reduce myself. Well, can you open your mouth without reducing yourself? Okay, I've got myself in a trap here, Angelina. Pull me out. <laughs> well, one of the things I'm, I'm thinking about as you're talking is... You're supposed to be listening to me talk the, when I talk. But well, but you're making me make I'm more kidding. connections. So I'm, I'm I'm thinking about the mask as even something that keeps us from seeing ourselves. So we put on the mask so other people right. don't see or do see. But it keeps us from seeing ourselves. And I was thinking about how we really can't ever see ourselves, right? You look in a mirror, that's not really what you look like. That's why we're all shocked when we see a photo of ourselves. We really can't see ourselves. Only other people can. And so the irony, of course, is it's only when you're it's only when you're looking at the image of Christ can you actually see what you look like, right? He's the mirror. The mirror mirror. Yeah. We don't see we don't we use a mirror is a distortion of your own reflection. It's not what you really look like. Photographs you need to write an article called like. Yeah, they're reduced. Right. Even a movie is reduced. Mm -hmm. And that's what strikes me. First of all, you need to write an article about this called Masks and Mirrors. And the second of all, it seems to me that the reason we put on masks is to manage how people see us and also to manage how we see ourselves. But if yes, we're going to manage, yes. in, in order to manage, we have to reduce it. Right. Come back to that notion again. We need a mirror because Christ is so incredibly complex, simple, but complex beyond measure. And so we need him as a mirror instead of, instead of a mask. We need his light to shine on us. And we need to stop managing the way we see ourselves and look honestly into who we are. Yes, because then there's two parts to that. One is that, of course, we're afraid and so we want to deceive. Oh my goodness, yes. But the other is that we can't help but deceive because we don't really know who we are. One of my beefs with online dating you know, my, my friends will say, oh, these guys can just say anything they want and, they, and they're liars. And I said, well, maybe they are and maybe they aren't. But but the website presumes that someone knows who they are well enough to be able to mm -hmm. tell you that. Right. And what I don't do you believe think that that's true. What, what do you think we fear so much that we that we can't look at who we are and admit who we are and we wear masks? 
we must think that we are unlovable. We must be like Adam and Eve in the garden running away from God, that if anybody sees us really, they will not love us. We'll be rejected. So we hide. Like the, the common dream. What do they say? The two great fears are death and public speaking. Because if we speak in public, we, we're not hiding what well, we are, but we, you know. But that's, you, an, that's yeah. another layer to Adam and Eve putting clothes on in the garden. Right, right, right. Fear of shame. And yes, fear of, absolutely fear of shame. Of exposure, of being found out. You know, I, one of the things I talk about um, in my fairy tale chapter in the upcoming book is I, I look at the, the myth of Narcissus as, as Adam and Eve. And um, so mm. Adam was created in the image of God. But then, like Narcissus, falls in love with his own image. In other words, mm. where he should have been outwardly directed, gazing on God in order to know himself. After he eats of the fruit, he's looking inward at his own reflection. He becomes right. the source of his own knowledge, not, not God. Uh, and then that causes all kinds of problems for him and for all of us forever, um, at least in this time, times, not eternity forever, but in temporal terms, it is, it is the plague of mankind. And we don't know ourselves anymore because now we don't know God. You know, what strikes me as you say that is therefore that the fundamental task of life in a certain sense really is that know thyself, right? Is to, yes. is to to go on that journey of self-discovery. I absolutely in, believe that. in Christ. Yes. I absolutely believe that life is, is the quest for self-knowledge, but that the irony is the only way you can, you have to go looking for Jesus to find yourself. That's the irony, right? So if I go a, here, trying to find myself, I'm never going to find myself. If I go to try to right. find Jesus, I will find Jesus and I will find myself. And here's another irony. We make money in order to buy masks. Yes. Well, that being the case, we probably should go to the unmasking scene because, because even, oh, I, I just want to go to one more thing that Benedict says after the converse. Okay, so, so what happens in scene one after what we just read is Benedict and Beatrice have their confrontation. Which I have to ask you, do you think she knows who he is? That's a great question. I was wondering the same thing. Because she's tormenting him if she does. Yes, and especially because of the scene, right? But the, the conversation right before where Ursula sees through, I know who you are. Right. Saying, no, no, that's not who I am. And then she, it's so hard for me not to read this as she knows who he is. And that's why she's saying all these negative things about him. I, I think, I think certainly that if you, um, if you want to have the play demonstrate it that way, you're not going to go wrong. <laughs> I, I, it just depends on what kind of a character you want Beatrice to be or what you think she is. Is, is she, is she so merry that she doesn't realize she's being malicious or is she a malicious character or, or is she just careless? You know, it's, it, that's a big question. If she doesn't know that it's Benedict, then she's really saying some horrible things about him to someone else. If she does know it's him and which she's so obsessed with him, I can't imagine that she wouldn't immediately recognize his bearing, his walk, the way he holds himself. I mean, even if he's in a costume, right? Right. Right. Um, and that's how they recognize Claudio. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so so after Benedict and Beatrice, the next group yes, of is people Claudio that talk, pretending to be Benedict. Right. John and Claudio. And and Claudio says, You know me well, I am he. But before Benedict and Beatrice talk, it's when 
it's when Ursula says to Antonio, I know you. Mm -hmm. So Shakespeare's doing something there that puts us, and Beatrice says, I am sure you know him well enough to Benedict, um, meaning Benedict. Mm -hmm. But Shakespeare's definitely putting us in a frame of mind that would incline us to think she knows. Yeah, it's hard for me not to read it otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's sandwiched in between two conversations where the masks are not working. People know exactly uh -huh. who they're talking to. Yeah, except the guy who's masked <laughs> doesn't know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very true. Thus answer I in name of Benedict, was, but hear these ill news with the ears of Claudio. And then they have that exchange. But when Benedict... Um, is done talking to Claudio and Claudio stalks off pouting. Benedict then reflects on Beatrice mm -hmm. and says, he says something I think is really crucial to, to, to what Shakespeare is trying to get us to see about how we perceive the world. He says, it is the base though bitter disposition of Beatrice that puts the world into her person and so gives me out. Right. So kind of an obvious point in a way that what Beatrice is saying about me is because she sees the world in a certain way, takes it into herself, transmogrifies it into herself, and then talks about the world as though it's her. It's like it's like um, I think it was Matt Bianco was just telling me about an architect. I'm not an architect, a, a sculpting teacher who says that you can you can tell who did a sculpture Let's say let's say a class of college kids is doing sculpt, sculptures of of the teacher. Let's just say, okay, the teacher then could look at each sculpture and know who did it because everybody has in his own fingers a muscle memory of his own face. And so when they make a when they make us a a, a, a a face, what do you call that in sculpture when you do a face? I forget. But when you make a face of somebody else, your face invisibly enters into it wow right? isn't that interesting That's so it's fascinating we take the world into ourselves and then give it out having become like us when we talk about the world we talk about a world that we interpret the way we do because of who we are we transform the world into our image to a certain sense we don't even know we're doing it but our face is all over it Yeah. No, that's oh. so good. It becomes another level of a mask. Right. Because we're then unintentionally putting masks on other people. So our own huh. inability to perceive past our muscle memory, to use your analogy, means that we're also seeing things that may or might not really be there. And the consequence, according to Benedict, in this case is that every word stabs. That's his phrase. Yeah, she he's hurt. And every word stabs. Gives himself away without, without meaning yes, to. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, then, then I hate to press forward. Yeah, I know. Because that's, I think, a, a good point. But Benedict and, and Pedro, and they all get together, and, and the clarification is made that Claudio was in fact, um, he, that, sorry, that, that Pedro was in fact winning hero for Claudio. 
And then my wife once gave me a card that said Claudio's response because Beatrice says, speak count is your cue, right? Speak when you're supposed to. <laughs> and he says, silence is the perfectest herald of joy. I were but little happy if I could say how much. And here Shakespeare is pushing this whole notion of the limits of language and how certain things cannot be expressed in words. Nonetheless, he gives himself away. And she, then Hero, is supposed to speak, or if she can't, then kiss him and shut him up so he can't speak either. It's fun little things like that where Shakespeare's kind of taking the whole play and condensing it into little exchanges that you don't even notice because they're just part of the story. And we also don't want to miss at the end of scene one that Don Pedro proposes to Beatrice. Yes. Um, he is of a higher estate than her. So this is a huge compliment. Also, she's a, an orphan. She's a ward of her uncles. Um, and typically in the Renaissance, a ward of your uncles would not have, she would have even less choice in a marriage than the daughter would. Um, bo huh. Both of these, these women are being presented as having a lot of um, agency in this regard, right? They're, they're being allowed to choose who they will, um, which again, you know, Shakespeare gets accused of misogyny, but I mean, <laughs> in regular Renaissance society, someone who's living off of the charity of her uncle gets a marriage proposal <laughs> from, uh, you know, a duke, essentially. Yeah. She's going to have to say yes to that. Um, but yeah. she says no. So this. Why? She doesn't love him. Well, what's the phrase she uses? Though? Oh, you're too good for me. Yeah, Basically, you're, yeah. you're the Sunday best. I need an everyday man. <laughs> There's a word she uses there that I really like, though. She says, your grace too is too costly. costly. Your grace. Right. Mm -hmm. Remember. Yes. Remember. Ursula? Right. Right. Graces will appear and there's an end. I was born to speak all mirth and no matter. And then Pedro gives the opposite response from, from uh, Claudio above. Claudio had said, silence is mm -hmm. the perfectest herald of joy. And Pedro says, your silence most offends me. And to be merry best becomes you. So he's not upset by the turndown. It's a comedy. Right. But it's a good point that, that he does propose to her. So that speaks, though, that speaks to Beatrice's beauty and her quality and her virtue that she, you know, she... she she is good enough that a, a lord would have proposed to her, someone in a much uh -huh. higher estate. So this speaks very highly of her. And so uh -huh. then when, when Don Pedro, it's really a nice setup for then immediately after he says, I know what we'll do. Let's trick them into falling in love. It, it's, you, you can see it's not mean-spirited. He obviously thinks very highly of Beatrice. And he must also yeah, he think says, very highly of Benedict. True, true. Because he does say below, um, where does he say that? Um, I, I, I would have liked to have married her. He says that. He does. Um, where does it? I can't remember. But anyway, when they get to the end of Act 2, Scene 1, and they're in that scheme now to bring them together, and I agree with you. You make an important point that he's, he's not doing this to hurt them. He likes both of them, but he thinks they belong together. That's how it seems to yes, me anyway. Yes, th that's how I read it too. So how do you persuade somebody, right? He says to them, I will teach you how to humor your cousin. Now, we think when we hear humor, mm -hmm. when you're going to humor someone, we mean you get calm them down, whatever. The idea here of humoring, right. as I understand it, is like what you do with music. You temper it. Yeah, it's right? to bring so, it into harmony, right? So if someone's out of right. humor, it means their four humors are out of whack. They're out of balance. Bingo. Bingo. 
And that's important because in the next scene, Baraccio and John are planning how to cause grief for Hero's wedding. Yes. And he says, how are you going to do it? And, and, and John says, what life is in that to be the death of this marriage? And Baraccio says, the poison of that, the poison mm -hmm. of that lies in you to temper. Mm -hmm. So here we have, we have evil tempering. And in the previous we have, well, oh, did you notice, by the way, <laughs> struck me as I, as I noted this, John and Pedro really are brothers. <laughs> Don Pedro is trying to control people to yep. make them fall in love. And Don John is trying to control people to cause grief, but they're both, yes. I mean, they're brothers. They're both full of mischief. They are. And that fits with the idea of there's the, the play is about two deceptions, one mm -hmm. for wicked ends, one for good ends. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, really, if, you've, you've really got a parallel tragic line and a comic line, right? Yeah. Because Don John is being promised someone will die as a result of this. Oh, holy smokes. Do you realize what we have done? What have we done? Do you realize what we have done? <laughs> We're out of time and we didn't even get oh. to season three, which is so, so. But that's okay. I mean, if we whole... save it to next time, we can do it back to back then with uh, Beatrice's going scene and we can contrast them. Okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. Are we allowed to break the form of, of one act per discussion? You are what if Andrew David Kern. Finds out? You can you can you can call an audible right now. Come on. <laughs> we have to do a good job on the gulling scene. It's too beautiful. It's too good. The gulling? G-U-L-L. G-U-L-L-I-N-G. The gulling yeah, the scene. Gulling yes, scene. where he gets yeah. a gold, which is that's just Elizabethan for a trick. Yeah. And he's, and it's awesome. I would think this was a trick if it wasn't for the white haired man. And, it, right. and that, but that's another mask, right? The mask of white haired yep. wisdom. I, I have to trust this guy. And, and when we get there, this whole question again of, of what does it take to persuade? Benedict gives a summary. Ah. This can be no trick. Why not? Conference is sadly born and so on and so on and so forth. This is, this is how you can persuade me. And that parallels at the end of scene two which we skimmed, Baraccio explains the whole plan. This is how I'm going to persuade. Yep. This, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is how you persuade someone. And, and Benedict is saying, this is how I was just persuaded. So this really is a study. I hate to put it this way because it trivializes it in a way, but this is a study in rhetoric. And this also is, this, in wisdom. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Because Claudio think, is so easily deceived by appearances. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Benedict is also deceived, but he's deceived for the right reasons. This is her uncle. This is somebody who would know he's old. He's wise. He, those are not bad things to consider. Benedict is always saying, consider the source. That's one of the things Benedict says through the whole thing. Consider the source. Claudio never considers the source. True. Very true. Very true. Don't you think though, in the end, both of them are persuaded because they want to be? Yes, I, yes. I think Benedict definitely, but I hadn't thought of Claudio before, but yes. Claudio's so frustrating. He's just, Claudio believes anything. He's, he's so inconstant. He's so childish. He really is. 
I think we're supposed to think that he's a younger soldier and this is his first military victory. And he's caught the Benedict. Yeah. Because he's sooner caught than the plague, right? That's right. There's a, there's a line. Um, it's, we'll talk about it next time. But in that conversation, Leonardo says that she, that Beatrice said to his daughter, I measure him by my own spirit, for I should flout him if he writ to me. In other words, I, he, she's saying that what Benedict said of me is true. I take the world in. I measure him by my own spirit. If, if he wrote to me, I would mock him for it. Therefore, mm-hmm. I'm not going to write to him because he'd mock me for it. At least I figure he will because that's what I would do. And she says, yeah, well, he says, she says, yay, though I love him, I should. So this whole, this whole being persuaded and what to believe and Claudio's gullibility, oh, they're gullibility. And, and Benedict's somewhat more reserve still comes down to the spirit of the person, right? Well, what you have quoted Beatrice as saying you know, psychologists call that projecting, right? She's, she's projecting herself onto him, which is, that's what Benedict mm-hmm. has accused her of earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, you project a mask onto people. That's really mm-hmm. your own mask. And that also prevents you from being able to see them. We're, we're, we're just a mess. As humans, you mean? Yes. Not you and I Absolutely. personally, we haven't mastered, obviously. No. But. No, I'm pretty much a mess. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Monsieur Love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that line. Oh, here he comes. Monsieur Love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially when the Bruno does it. Yeah. 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 He does it well. He does it well. Oh, man. Well, we, 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 we got to pick this up then. And that's, of course, the song scene. So, okay, next, next time we do this, we'll talk about scene three and then try to get into act three. But we have to respect that David doesn't want us to talk about much about nothing for the rest of the year. So I guess I'll just mention that we're no. almost certain to do much ado about nothing at the Searcy Summer Institute. So if people want more of it, sign up for the Institute. Oh, we'll be safe because uh, almost nothing ever happens in Act Four of Shakespeare, anyway. <laughs> we have time. Yeah, we have yeah. time. But if but if that's the case, then we have to make much ado oh, about Act Four. Oh, oh. After all, that's where Hero dies. It is. It is. I've been thinking about all the different meanings of much ado about nothing, um, because of course. Um, Hero is innocent. She has done nothing. Right. She has done nothing wrong. And much ado is right. being made about her having done nothing wrong. And and much ado will be made about it, right? Because Beatrice wants Benedict to kill Claudio because he made much ado about her nothing. Yeah. That, that's Shakespeare, man. He's a clever one. <laughs> we we should, I think we're getting a bad connection, but we should go through the play at some point. Yeah, we should go through the play at some point and list all the nothings that Much Ado is made about. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good exercise. Especially if we think noting as overhearing and music going along with it. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, because of the time, I'm going to 
I'm going to um, stop talking. And there will be nothing happening at this end. Plus, we're getting it. We're getting a signal that's so bad that your voice is starting to sound like a keyboard. And, and our listeners will make much ado of it, I'm sure. <laughs> good, good. That was good. That was good. It took a while for me to hear all that you just said, but that was really good. It does. Well, it does. It sounds like a ransom call. I have your child drop off the, the money, Third Street. Exactly. So if I make end my thoughts on this session with a quotation from the play. Ladies, I'm going to address you directly. Sigh no more, ladies. Sigh no more. Men were deceivers ever. Any closing thoughts? Uh, no. I'm, no. No. I'm going to save my closing oh. thought for next week. It's, it's, okay. It's an, open, it's an opening thought. My closing thought is I have an opening thought for next time. Oh, I'm trying to think of a way to weave the concept of nothing into that. All right. Well, thank you. This was fun. Let's, let's do it again. This was fun. We, we survived without David. I was a little nervous. If, that's, if this is what you call surviving, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we thrived. I don't want to say that. That'll make him sound terrible. We thrived yeah, we, without you, David. <laughs> we flourished. All right. Well, thank you, Angelina. Thank you, Angie. This was fun. Yeah, it was. See you again. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.